Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. This week, we get the joy of listening to two people who've come together to produce a play. And we'll get the backstory from them and the how-to from them as well. So Jennifer King and Abigail Colleen, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hello. We're happy to be here. We're happy to have you. What a treat to have seen your the evolution of your career and see where you are today with Liberty for Her, your podcast, everything you're doing. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having both Abigail and myself. Absolutely. Thanks, Jennifer. So why don't we just get right into it? Um, Abigail, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit, for those of us who don't know anything about Babette's Feast, give us that sort of story and what what it was about that particular story that you wanted to craft and, and, and put onto the stage. As part of my faith community, way back in the 90s, I was attending a church in Lower Manhattan while I was in college, and I'd heard of this film referenced in a sermon, and the film was called Babette's Feast. The uh, person giving the sermon, who will become significant later in this story, was a gentleman uh, by the name of Scott Sherman. And I was new to the faith and new to church attendance, and it stuck with me. The discussion about grace. It, grace is a mysterious concept. It's a big concept. It is to me still. It especially was to me then. And I watched the film, which of course was a big deal at the time, having won an Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. And then later on, I would say maybe 15 years later, I'm not good with numbers on the fly, but I will. <laughs> this was after graduate school and uh, I was back in New York. I learned that the film was actually based on a short story, and the short story had been written originally in English and first published in America. And this really piqued my interest. So I got a copy of the short story. I remember I went to the Shakespeare and Company bookstore um, down by NYU in Lower Manhattan, and I bought the collection of short stories and read it and was just entranced by the words on the page in a way I hadn't been uh, watching the film. Though I found the words mysterious and delightful, and I learned that Isaac Dennison, uh, the pen name for Karen Blixen, the author had been up for a Nobel Prize the year Ernest Hemingway won for liter- literature. And he actually said, he, when he received it, he said, Isaac Dinishin should have had this award. And I saw the beauty of her language. Of course, Out of Africa had uh, become a favorite film of mine then. She also wrote that book. But the words, the words on the page became really interesting to me. And because I'm a theater artist, putting those words on the stage started to hold some real uh, 
invitation and intrigue through a series of stops and starts and asking questions. And the there's an expression for it that I can't think of right now, just that beautiful uh, innocence that comes when you're trying to do something for the first time. Uh, the, the bravery that comes with that and the um, joy that comes with that. I managed to get the rights from the estate to wow. produce, to create a theatrical adaptation and um, began a collaboration with Rose Courtney, who is the author, the writer of the play. We worked on the script together and it was born um, for people who aren't aware of the trajectory of the theater. One way to proceed that we ended up doing was we had the, we completed the script, but we needed to see what it was like on its feet, how it played in space, what how an audience would respond to it. So when you do something like that in workshop, it's called a workshop production. So we did that in 2010. So 2010, where where does that where does Jennifer come into this in this process? Because it sounds like it's a, a series of um, well, not a series. It's it's year after year that there's a building of what what is what we see today, the, the final product. That's that we right. See today. It's such a journey. It's one thing to do a play and then, but how are we going to do a play and what context are we going to do a play and what is the goal of this play? And this is the transition from artistic endeavor to business. And this is where Jennifer's role was such a gift to me and was so crucial. Well then Jennifer, why don't you step in and tell us, so we know that Abigail has put this together. It was a story of great meaning for her. She decides to cobble up some people and has the boldness to to reach out to to some major players, it sounds like, in this particular story. And now she's at a place where she says, um, how do I how do I get this to this audience? And and what is the what is the way that I am going or the the vehicle that I'm going to use? Um, and starts thinking about perhaps uh, there are other people to reach out to, or maybe this should be a business. Where, where do you come into this story, Jennifer? Because I, I actually know, but I want you to tell the rest of us. So I uh, uh, received a phone call from Mark Rogers from Clapman Group, who runs uh, an organization called Wedgwood Circle. Wedgwood Circle is a group of Christian philanthropists who are investing in variety of from architecture to comic strips that have a positive message. It's not necessarily exclusively faith-based, mm -hmm. uh, but it's for the good of the world. And so Mark called me. I had just invested in a film starring Willie Nelson, executive produced by Bono, uh, thanks to, to Mark's introduction. And he thought of me because I live in San Francisco most of the year, but I live in Kennebunkport, Maine, uh, for the summer. And Abigail hails from Bowdoin College, where she's a theater professor. Uh, so she lives in Maine. And Mark thought, oh, here's an investor, prospective investor who might be a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. She loves the arts. She loves theater. And so it's thanks to Mark Rogers uh, that he made the introduction to Abigail. Abigail came over to my home, or I, we kid that we have many of our business meetings and board meetings on <laughs> paddle boards. That is and not a bad deal. I want to be on that board, both literally <laughs> so and figuratively. Behind my house in, in Kenimungpur, it's called the Sante Sana, um, Africa-inspired home. Uh, that means uh, thank you very much. 
in Swahili. Um, behind is a river that flows down all the way to the ocean. And Abigail was showed her first stripes of bravery when she said, well, I've never been on a paddleboard before, but I'd be happy to try. <laughs> so the bravery took a, a, a turn when we're, we're coming back from our ride and I'm just soul bonding with Abby. And, um, I, you know, here she is. She's a theater artist. She has this beautiful voice. I've sung in my church choir before uh, growing up and, and more recently, but um, no, I just don't deserve to be, you know, asking, let's sing a song. <laughs> and so the two of us, it was really quite extraordinary. So literally when we la hit land again, we were just um, there. She had started to talk about, you know, the background of the making of this is this 10 years that she had put into uh, making this uh, a live theater production and, you know, struggling. So, and we came into the house, we sat down with my husband and business partner of over 30 years, Tim Friedel, and already just, you know, there was a spirit flowing. Mm -hmm. um, we, I was so impressed with so many things, but um, Karen Kunrod came into the picture and uh, she had made, so that Abby mentioned um, our director and, and Karen had made the recommendation to um, offer the lead role of Babette to an African-American woman. And Abby has every right to play that role. But her humility in saying, oh, my gosh, that is that's a profound statement that we're striving to make in this beautiful story of grace and celebrating the refugee and um, allowing now Michelle Hurst is the woman who is playing our lead for Babette. Uh, that was just one of the, the, the many triggers for me to say, you know, this is a, a humble woman who has great vision, but um, I, I, I think this is, this is a good match. So let me ask you something about that, Jennifer, very specifically, because I think there are listeners who are thinking, well, I've, you know, I've bonded with somebody and we, we both, I, I've been in a situation where the both of us think the other is great and we're having this moment, but it's very different to then say, this is the kind of person I want to invest in. And by investing, I mean my time and energy. I mean my ideas. I mean, in your case in particular, my, my money. So mm -hmm. what was it about this particular project that really got your attention? It was obvious. It's obvious to us that Abigail got your attention and this and and what she was bringing to the table through the story. But why, when there are so many um, artists who would be knocking on your door for you to come alongside them, not only to to help finance and fund the, a project, but also to provide your business acumen? Mm -hmm. What was it about this particular project that really awoke something in you? That's a great question. Um, I think it, this is me putting my investor hat on now. Um, one of the things that I um, love about the Rugged Elegance Foundation and the uh, family that we've uh, built this foundation around is we sat down and created a mission statement. Uh, the mission of the Rugged Elegance Foundation is to inspire healthy, adventuresome, soulful living and ideally philanthropic giving. When we identify people or pursuits, philanthropies, products that uh, inspire healthy and adventuresome and soulful, we call that has magic. 
And for, for me, that's sort of the sweet spot of, of an investment. So that's, that's particular to our organization. I have, um, I'm driven by that, that direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Abby would speak so well to really the, the essence of the message um, that of Babette's Feast in this particular case, but we have within Rugged Elegance um, a, a trigger beyond the has magic is what we call art inspiring action. And that is where when we invest in, in something where someone comes out of the theater or out of um, where, wherever, whatever the venue is, and they're, they're, it's more than driven just to have a conversation and say, oh my gosh, you've just got to go see this. Yeah. It's instead, it's, oh my gosh, we need to take action. Yeah. We need to do something in the world that provokes change. And Babette's Feast does that. This is a beautiful story of grace where it is the, the um, two African-American actors, Michelle Hurst as Babette and George Watson as the general, who are the portrayers of this who communicate this beautiful story of grace and uh, they do, do they do it eloquently they do it with humor um, there are nine cast members they all play a starring role um, but you walk out of the theater and you say how can I be a catalyst towards change sure so it sounds like and I love that you're talking about the you know whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's a, a book, a documentary, um, a for-profit, that the mission statement, having that mission statement to drive um, decision-making is so important. And I think often we think of that mission statement as being, oh, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll do that mm. fun exercise mm. later. Um, we'll do that when we do like a retreat with our team. <laughs> and <laughs> in fact, it ends up being the very thing that um, we go back to as a cornerstone for why we do what we do and when we say no and when we say yes. So I love that, that you had that um, and that that informed your decision to move forward with Abigail and with Babette's Feast. Abigail, when you were, you, you mentioned earlier your approach to this project, starting out as a play, going through the, the workshop or the workshopping of this particular piece. And then at some point you said something to the effect of maybe viewing it more as a business. Tell mm -hmm. us what that means to you, you know, in a couple sentences, sort of, I'd really love our, our listeners to really understand the dis that distinction. And then did that happen for you before meeting Jennifer, Jennifer, or did that happen as a result of meeting Jennifer? I think it's more the latter. And it was really her urging and her leadership to me saying, this needs to be uh, something else. You need to be clearer about what it is that you're trying to do. And it was really after meeting with Jennifer where she, it's so interesting because it goes to her, it goes to the mission statement with the foundation that mm -hmm. she and Tim run together. The plan is important and the details of the plan were important, but there was also a dreaming element to, I would walk away from my first initial meetings with Jennifer and say things like, well, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? Or what would I do? What could this be if I didn't limit it? And those are, those are questions that I credit. The fact that I was able to ask myself those things, I credit that to Jennifer. She is a, she's a, she's been a great teacher to me 
while also being the initial investor in really making this project possible. Without her, we and Tim's confidence, we couldn't have proceeded. So let me let me ask you to define it, something for me because as I hear that, I say, "Wow, Jennifer was a catalyst." Um, to help you think bigger, to help you think Definitely. about what what Babette's Feast could be, who Babette's Feast could impact. But that could have been the case without viewing this as a business. That could have been the case viewing this as a one-time show. But I know that there was more to it in terms of her walking alongside you to help you think of of this more strategically as a business, that the impact could continue if we thought of this in more, you know, utilizing some business mechanisms or terminology or just paradigm. So that's, I'd love for you to talk about that. Like where was the shift in, in addition to being that encourager, where was the shift to say, I need to start thinking of this uh, in a way that I can scale or in a way that I can create impact for even more people. I guess that's almost the same as scale, but that, I'd love to hear that from you. This couple comes alongside me and says, this is a good idea. They reflect back to me how the idea inspires them Tim and Jen talking about art inspiring action, I thought, oh my goodness, do you think so really? And they say yes, and that makes me say yes. Right. So it's the energy between us. And they didn't just say, what a good idea, good luck. They said, what a good idea. We believe in this too. And we believe in it with our words, with our actions, and with our finances. What were those actions? What were the things oh, that where they, you saw that in practice? One of the pinnacle experiences so far of the project was a lunch that Jennifer and Tim hosted for the cast and team while we were still in Portland. They had us all over to their home in Maine. But then Jen and Tim had us come around the table and asked us all, every person, to talk about what they thought grace meant to them. And it was so moving. Everyone in that room was seen and heard. Every story had value. And then we all ate together. A colleague of mine who was there came up to me and he said, that lunch is what we tried to do with a church for 15 years in New York. And we should have just done that. <laughs> he was yeah. right. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's It's helpful to know how that practically um, brought you all together and how you felt supported by them. Jennifer, I want to go back to you real quick. You talked earlier about um, has magic and you talked about sort of this investment strategy that, that uh, really is in line or parallels your mission statement. I know you have a couple acronyms, KISS being mm -hmm. one, has magic being one, soul being one. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what those are for you as a foundation, as a human being, as a partner um, with your husband in looking at some of these projects that come your way and, and kind of what is the intention behind them as you look at different projects to, to, to walk alongside and to, and to support? Absolutely. So the, the strategy that we came up with when we created the Rugged Elegance Foundation is, I call it KISS plus soul. So 
keep it simple plus with soul. So the KISS part of it is the primary dollars are invested by Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley uh, takes that, um, uh, the, the majority of our dollars and uh, sort of on the low risk side of the equation, um, you know, really working in the um, working the market and and we let them do you know um, that job every year as the president of the rugged elegance foundation i get to make a sole investment that is high risk but potentially far greater reward mm-hmm. and most specifically tied ideally to the the mission of the has magic inspiring healthy adventuresome soulful living and so when Abigail came to me, you know, again, to her credit, so she's being very humble here. <laughs> she uh, has, had been working for 10 years, and, but she was not just at the mercy of finding a primary funder. She already had one in the bag, and that was Portland Stage in Maine. So Portland Stage had already made a commitment to Abigail to present this production, they had their own investment dollars, um, donor support to, to, to make this happen. And what she needed was a, a significant sum of money um, from an outside investment group. And so when, I, when she came to me, my, the initial presentation was one for me to make a grant to the Portland stage. And it's actually thanks to an advisor of ours, somebody who's been with me since the beginning days of my first company, Biospace, um, Bruce Worla, who lives in Western Massachusetts. He came up and met with Abigail, Tim, and myself. And it was Bruce. Remember that, Abby? I do. I do. Bruce was really um, a strategic key for us in unlocking these additional dollars. So, you know, typically with the Rugged Elegance Foundation, um, uh, uh, we, our, our investments, we invest in about 40 different nonprofits in a given year, and they're around five, maybe $10,000. However, with this sole investment opportunity, I could put more dollars to work if Abigail would be willing to create a for-profit organization. And so that would then um, unleash these additional dollars, significant dollars, um, to put to work whereby there would be a return on investment to the Rugged Elegance Foundation. And then, God bless her, what she then did was she took that investment, was able to then focus on bringing on uh, her cast and crew and get Portland off the ground. And then she shifted her energies towards bringing this to off-Broadway. And so from, you know, in January 26th was the premiere of, of Babette's Feast in Portland. Uh, thanks to the stage direction of, of um, Anita Stewart of Portland Stage and uh, their whole crew. And uh, meanwhile, Abigail has already started the process of, of shifting. Once, once Portland was done, there was a, a, a game plan in play. And we were able to bring uh, this theatrical production with additional investors now in tow. Um, to Off-Broadway, which just took place now, how many weeks ago? We opened, we started previews on March 14th, and our press opening was March 25th. Wow, that's so exciting. Okay, uh, thanks for that again, Jennifer, because I think that really helps us to understand 
um, when Abigail referred to you coming in and really helping her to think of this like a business, I think understanding your instruction or suggestion perhaps uh, is a better word to look at this as a as a for-profit entity or a for-profit endeavor rather, um, not only open doors to how much you could participate, but I think also uh, to how other people might be able to 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 look at this and to support it. And so I, I appreciate that. And I also appreciate further explanation on the investment strategy. I think that as the listeners pick up on perhaps they're going out for profit, nonprofit, doesn't really matter. But as they go out and are soliciting angel investment, you know, just that early stage, that early seed money, they can really have a sense of it's not just finding the money, it's finding somebody, an organization who has a mission statement that can hang in there for the long run and that can really partner with my idea, my venture, uh, my long-term goals kind of thing. So I, I think we often just see numbers and dollar signs when we're eager to raise that. And I think you bring something to us that maybe we hadn't thought about, which is the person who actually has the dollars is also thinking about their own strategy and their and and what they want to put into the world. So I think you really gave us some um, something something to chew on with regard to well, that. Well, I think that's beautifully said, Netta. And I think uh, furthermore that when you're identifying an investor who it does tie specifically to their mission statement, by virtue of that, whether it's for profit or non for profit, not profit, you are getting someone who is. For me as a philanthropist, it's not just about the dollars I invest, it's the time, the expertise, the yeah. resources, the other resources that I have to bring to the table. And when I'm so passionate about something as I am about Babette's Feast, you know, she's got me all in. I am thinking strategically yeah. about marketing and how I can get more people into this, you know, theater. Uh, we've had some really neat brainstorms with specifically our kids because both Jessica and Nikki are in um, on our board and they're both in New York City. City. So we've been thinking about ways that we can inspire people to host uh, dinners at uh, restaurants and bring someone considered the other to the table where people watch the production. They come to this communal table and they have a conversation about the immigrant, the refugee, DACA, LGBTQ community, uh, transgender community. Um, and I think it's, you know, this this production helps to inspire that. So I, I, I love that I'm, I get to invest more than just dollars. <laughs> and yeah, that's the, the I hear that. It. And I like that it's in this opportunity that you actually mimic what is seen and heard in Babette's Feast, that mm, it's even you. an extension. But I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish its value by using the word marketing, but it's a really interesting way to market what people will experience or have had just experienced having seen the play and then to then take it into a meaningful conversation to help digest, to help inform, to help those people become mouthpieces because mm -hmm. once they sit and break bread together as you know, you guys did way back even in, in, in Maine in that early, um, 
story that you told us, Abigail, about meeting in Jennifer's house, then it becomes an extension of and another medium to experience Babette's feast. So I I love the creativity that's gone that's gone into that. Abigail, we talked a little bit about what did Jennifer bring to the table that really added value to this particular creative endeavor. And Jennifer shared mm-hmm. with us just helping you to think about this as a as a, a for-profit entity. What did that actually shift? If you think of one thing that shifted when you began to think of this as a business and not a one-time project or a one-time show or even a 10-time show, but when you really shifted your your mindset into this is a business, what happened for you? This play addresses some false divides. And I think art very often at its best invites us to think about our own um, biases and our own false divides. Mm-hmm. And one false divide that I think lives very often in the artist, and I was one, was a false distrust of anything commercial, business-oriented, or any for-profit enterprise. And what Jen and Tim embodied for me is that it's possible to have a nonprofit heart with a for-profit brain. Yeah. And those two things together are such an invitation to artists yeah. that, and in this way, and this is the second thing, it invites me to think, what if I'm launching something that's bigger than I am? Because the idea of reaching across difference, the idea of welcoming the stranger, oh, these are all uh, themes of Babette's Feast. The idea of the outsider and the refugee becoming an agent of grace that heals a community, those are big ideas. Yeah. And they have to be bigger than me and my idea and a play. And thinking in a for-profit way invites the artist to think about beginning a movement instead of a piece of art. Yeah. Both are valuable, but one, the impact, that the potential for impact we have with this structure is limitless. Yeah. There's a, a great piece, and sorry, I'm going to do a little plug here, but <laughs> we just finished writing a piece in the um, for our Liberty uh, editorial journal that's coming out, and it is exactly what you're saying. It's talking mm. about, there's a there's a section called Give, and it looks at nonprofits, it looks at social good, social impact projects, and says, how do you not lose the heart, essentially, um, but think enough like a business that you can impact more people? How do you do that? Um, or what are the different ways that you can do that? So again, you've sort of validated and, and given us a tangible example of that. I want to ask each of you the same question. And if you could come up with just a one sentence answer, what's the hardest part of launching this particular type of production? And in hindsight, what would you do differently? When one makes an investment in any entity uh, from one person to another, it's often thought of, of the, the people who have the dollars are somehow above the people who are the creators of that vision, of that product, of that service. Abigail and I are equals. Hmm. Getting Abigail to see herself as an equal in this venture is the only thing I would change. And it's not a conversation she and I have had 
to date, but it is part of the evolution of our relationship that I really want to inspire her to think of herself as an equal to me, that I am not just because I have the money that I am somehow, um, you know, above her in any way. And uh, when she, by virtue of her um, treating me, I could no more do what she's doing. I could no more do. Where and as, as was it Julia who at the the premiere of of Babette's piece in Off Broadway said we are all one body with different different roles mm-hmm, different parts. Mm-hmm, like, there's mm-hmm. the eyes, the ears, the arms, sure. the legs, the soul. That <laughs> we're all part of the soul together, but uh, we each play a part. And so um, that and for me this this is this ties. And I know this is not, I'm sorry, this is not one sentence, but yeah. it ties for me as at first as an as an and um, as an entrepreneur of a for profit venture when I was in my 20s, where I had the privilege of raising 30 million dollars in venture funding to build my first company, Biospace, that, by the way, just celebrated its 23rd anniversary. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> March, oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow. March 15th. Um, but when we took the outside uh, dollars, you know, you get so excited that you're going to get the, oh my gosh, we're getting a term sheet, right? The dollars are going to come in. But, you know, what you don't think about is once you take that investment, you are in bed with your investors. And so you want to, you want to know them, you want to know what's driving them. And um, so, you know, I did not do that. And, and, and so my story of my biospace story has has squelched me um, as an entrepreneur. I've, I've been blessed to be able to self fund, um, f- you know, for the past nineteen years, which has its its blessings and its curses. Um, but I I would say if there was anything I would do differently as an entrepreneur is I I would have made sure that I know exactly with whom I'm uh, you know I'm, who am I taking the money from who who are my investors so. Uh, as Abigail, this is gonna, not going to be the, the the last production by any means. So as she thinks about, you know, whether it's taking this and in, into a broader scale and 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 seeing if we can bring this to Broadway, or we take it to other regional houses across the country, you know, it's identifying um, the investors that have that that not just the dollars, but you know, share share a, a collective mission. Um, together, Abigail, how would you answer that that question? What's the hardest been the hardest part of launching, and in hindsight, what would you do differently? I think when we receive gifts in our lives, gift through circumstances, we start from where we are, and they grow and mature us. Thinking about what Jennifer was saying, I think this project has made me an adult in a lot of ways. That, uh, and I'm proud of the way I've grown through this, and it's not over yet. It it continues. I was unprepared for the amount of on-the-ground labor that it was going to require. It has been a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. And that's been something I've needed to mitigate with my with my family. I have two small kids, my husband, who's been so incredibly supportive. So I don't know if I would change that, frankly, because I don't know if I could have. Building something, if it's a value, is hard. And it 
should be because it, it's layered and it's complex and there are lots of the theater is a collaborative venture so there are a lot of people involved and because we've hired good people people who care about what they do their hearts are then involved in it also which sometimes makes um, interpersonal relationships really complicated because no one's turning off their computer and leaving it and not caring about the job everyone cares deeply about the job there's so much passion in the room and sifting that and setting up boundaries with that and funneling that so it all go goes towards the product this has been a learning curve and a work like I've never experienced. Wow. That's, it sounds like um, if things were to, obviously you don't want this to be the case, but if it were to end today that you both have had um, such a rich experience working with one another, seeing this thing come to pass, inviting other people into it, it sounds like it's been a really rich endeavor. And that's not always the case. So um, that's great to hear. I want to transition us a little bit into the the part of the interview where we really kind of squeeze the goods out of your brain. And we say, okay, um, relating to all of our listeners who have different endeavors, they're, they're, you know, again, could be writing a book, it could be starting a for-profit entity, whether they want to be a baker or raise money for their, um, you know, their their digital project that they want to put out into the world. We'd love to just hear a little bit about how, how you guys have been able to do this and get some, get some takeaways. So Abigail, there's a lot of creative people that are listening to this podcast and some are producing um, films, documentaries, perhaps even plays like you. What would you say is the very first step into searching for funding that, that they might want to take or make? Know why your project is valuable and That's why good. it needs to be done now. That's great. So why it's valuable and the timeliness. Why is mm -hmm. now the time? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then Jennifer, what is it that you want to share with those who might financially be supporting a creative? What do you want to say to them? Hey, really keep this in mind before you do that. I'll use a different example. Um, my husband and I uh, just finished a 12-year renovation in our home in San Francisco, and we're interested in serving specifically female founders uh, to use this house to celebrate and support them. It's, uh, it's called re the retreatsf.com. And um, is that an invitation, Jen? <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> I'm a it female is. founder. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so I, um, it was, it was really a fun endeavor because rugged elegance is, uh, is something we've poured hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars building this private soulful network of social entrepreneurs and philanthropists. And we were at the mercy of our developer and our developer has gone AWOL. If you go to ruggedelegance.com right now, there's no there's no pictures on the site. And that's out of our control. We're like, we're done with this. So we went to this, this um, platform called Wix and Tim and I built the, the retreatsf.com website ourselves. Before we started going out to the venture community to invite them to bring their entrepreneurs in to the, use the house this summer, 
uh, we I put it out there to the Wix platform. Um, there's a Wix design platform. And uh, to identify some professional who would be able to just take it to that next level of professionalism that we were not able to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I put out there this, you know, RFP, if you will, and we I got six um, responses. And the woman designer, and I was so jazzed it was a woman, um, she ended up not only saying, oh, here's my services. She went in, she took a look at our site. She saw what we were striving to do. She went out on a limb Mm. and made recommendations free of charge. She didn't, it was a risk for her, right? To to determine whether or not she was going to get the job, but she was being, putting it out there that I would recommend doing this, 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 and this. And, and then what a contrast to these other five who were just kind of giving, making me do all the work, right? I had to do the work to click on, to find out why they're the, the one for me. Sure. And right. And so what a difference to have somebody who, when, when somebody really gets to know you as an investor, um, what you're, what's driving you, uh, that, that you then craft your pitch that correlates with the passion that, you know, that who they are and, and, and why they would want to invest. Um, so I, I would say that will get you further, faster, um, as a, a creator, as a, as a, an entrepreneur, um, that's sure. And actually you just did it. You answered the question for both sides. So I think (laughs) for the creative, it's really evidencing what their secret sauce is, what their mission is, what their, um, their ability to be a game player or a team player, rather their ability to, um, almost, before you even utter your needs to be able to sort of forecast those things and and show how they can add value and be an asset. And then for the the person that's about to, you know, give that person money, whether it's an investment or or a hire, um, a hire as a as a service, that it's okay, you've just distinguished yourself. You've just shown me your your differentiator, even if it's even if it's uh, just that you're a hustler and that you're willing to do this. And I think those are those are both great, great things for for me to hear and I think for our listeners to hear in in how we can often I think we think of oh gosh what do we need to do different in our in our brand and sometimes it's just just serve people really well and that can make all the difference um I'd love to hear from the two of you and I'll ask you each you know partnerships and collaborations are difficult there tends to be this sort of honeymoon period and I would call that for you guys those initial you know times on the board on the on the on the um paddleboard and singing together and breaking bread together. And then you get into the nitty gritty and it's like, yikes, these are hard. Um, what's one piece of advice or wisdom that you would like, um, our listener to really walk away with as they consider going into a partnership or again, a a short-term collaboration, Abigail, we'll just start with you. Just one piece of wisdom. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That's great. That would be my piece of wisdom. I think artists often feel like they're inventing a wheel, the wheel, because it's coming from their heart and their mind and their soul. A version of it has probably been done before. And there are people that can help you so you don't make the mistakes they made. Sure. Uh, That's a great one. And and one that uh, we need to hear often. Jennifer, how would you answer that? 
My father gave me great advice early on. I was, I've been an, a, an entrepreneur since I was nine. And he said to me, Jennifer, hire people smarter than yourself and then delegate. And so when I hear Abigail saying, oh my gosh, it's 24 seven and it's, you know, all, I remember hearing the story back in Portland about the, the concern of being charged for the threads. Um, and, um, oh yes. You know, Right. And, and so, it, you know, she was getting down into the nitty gritty of, of the minutia. And, um, I would say, you know, if, if, yeah, I'm you sorry, are, are we talking about the threads to sew the, the seriously, the, the, the threads. threads. Oh, okay. That's about all we should <laughs> so say about that story. Like $2, but yes. 99 cents. Like what <laughs> yes, are we talking no, about? Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so I would say, you know, so Abigail's number one role at this point, because the production is underway is to, to get on stage every day, every night, every, every production and shine and bring her a game. Right. And yeah. then second to that is to nurture the relationships that are going to help her take her greater than herself vision to the next st stage. And so, um, you know, and allow the people who are um, assigned the task of the threads and the stage production <laughs> and all those things, you know, to do their job and do it well so that she has the time to have balance in life and uh, have time for, you know, the, the, the people in personally, professionally, and now philanthropically, because what she's doing is already returned created a return on investment. So we have dollars already, profit dollars already pouring back into Rugged Elegance Foundation to do more good in the world because of Babette's Feast. That's awesome. So, so in a partner, so that's not only great adv hiring advice to hire people that are smarter than you, that can do things that you can't do, but also in a partnership, I think what you're saying, Jen, is to really identify your strengths between the two of you, between the five of you, whoever the, how many ever people are in that partnership and really delegating, like, this is my lane. I'm going to play in this lane. I'm going to stay out of your lane so we don't duplicate our efforts and we don't Amen. burn each other or ourselves out. So I, I hear that as being great advice, both for partnerships and for hiring. So you guys um, are across the country from one another, at least a, a good portion of the year. And um, so I'd love to know how often do you stay connected? And are there um, particular, you know, is it through email that you stay connected? Do you share Google Docs? Like what are some of the tools and apps you use to continue to communicate with each other? We love getting like everybody's, you know, secrets on what are their favorite ways, favorite ways to stay sane. So anything you can offer would be great. Our primary way is email these days with our team sending out investor updates. And um, because so much of, since we're in the midst of the project, so much of the time is taking up with the doing of the work itself. So I actually have three. Uh, oh. One is uh, an app that we've created in-house through Kudos Trading Company called Kudos Prompt, uh, which is a, a, an ability to um, identify the things that need to be done and, and, and trigger that action without investing in a Salesforce, you know, uh, customer relationship management tool. This is uh, 
down and dirty, very simple. It's called Kudos Prompt and it's iOS based only. The other is Slack. I love Slack. Mm. I think we've got maybe seven different Slack sites. Uh, we have one for personally for our family, individual family, my greater family, where my fam- my folks' um, health and wellness is concerned, um, Rugged Elegance, Kudos Trading Company, and then about four of the different investments that I've made. We've cl- created Slack sites, uh, and those are invaluable Um with kudos, we've gone from 95% of our communication um, on email down to 95% on Slack. It's wow. so much more efficient. Uh, and then the third is Facebook private group. So when yeah. we launched uh, the Portland premiere, uh, I had the great privilege of in meeting the majority of our off-Broadway investors. And I was spurred on to leverage Facebook as a way of creating a private group for those people to share in the joy of the the private um, Babette's Rugged Elegance Feast (laughs) Mm -hmm. put on by uh, Justin and Danielle Walker from Maine, our favorite chefs. And, um, and then just keep the communication going as, as, uh, the publicity has come in. It's really a great place uh, to be able to share that. It's it's a bit of a duplication between Slack and Facebook. Um, in fact, some number of the investors are are frankly not on Facebook. So um, so you've got that. But those are my three my three those secrets. Yeah, I, we we love those secrets. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing. And to our listeners, as always, we will have um, all of these uh, listed in our show notes, so you can link away. Um, Abigail, I want to ask you something. When the, when the three of us spoke last week, you mentioned something about the differences between how women and men do business. And I'd love oh. for you to, <laughs> I'd love for you, you can share what you want to share, but I'd love for you to just, um, I think there that a lot of our listeners are out there, you know, this conversation is a hot, hot conversation right now. And it's not that it hasn't been an important one for many, many years, but it's just getting a lot of attention right now, the difference between men and women. And without diminishing the one, um, in, you know, to, to, to uphold the other, because I, I think there's place for, for all of us. Um, what's, what's one thing that you've learned in this creative person taking on more more of a business role and really kind of learning this what's one thing that you've learned um from from watching men do business from you know what what's something that you've picked up perhaps or or a way you don't want to be like a man or mm. I don't want to put words in your mouth I joked that I have a friend that we remind each other when we get all wrapped up in everybody's feelings, we say, but wait, what would a white dude do? And <laughs> I think and that needs to be a t-shirt. I just, it's I'm so just saying. Great. And I can't take credit for it. My friend Kelly Kimball, a beautiful playwright, invited um, me to think that way. And just as you say, it's not a diminishment. It's an invitation to be clear, to be efficient. And to solve the problem, and what I would add can I to just that say is, something? I just I'm sorry to interrupt you, but in addition yeah. to holding your ability to be empathetic, not at the it's not a trade off. It's that's it's, right. Yeah, that's right. That and what I bring to that is also to do my best to do that with kindness. Yeah, 
But and the and I, the empathetic part, I just want to say this as well. That's that's who you are. We're not saying women bring empathy and men bring, um, you know, uh, the ability to be concise or to be efficient. We're just saying Abigail brings this, and she's looking at in those moments of getting caught up in that. What would a white dude do? So I think that. I think that's true. I, I mean, gender's a really complex conversation right now. Yeah. So I think it it take it's important to to make the distinction that who I am, there is a part of my gender where those natural qualities have been nurtured and encouraged to the point of destructiveness. Don't be kind to the point of sacrificing yourself. Don't mm-hmm. be empathetic to the point of taking too much responsibility so you can't make a decision that's hard. Sure. That, that is the difference. Be who you are in, in a business venture. And the invitation to grow toward what's not your natural gifting in service of, the, of what you're trying to do is a beautiful invitation. The hard things I've needed to do in service of this project have made me cry and broken my heart, and they have been the best things for my personal growth and for the business as a whole. That's great. And then you, as a woman, get to have all of those new things be a part of you. It's not It's not taking on, again, back to the gender thing, it's not taking on something that wasn't in you. It was. T- it's taking on something that you haven't exercised yet, and now it's become a part of That's you. That's right. That's yeah. right. Which maybe in the moment we're in now, as, as we move forward as people, there'll be fewer restrictions. Yeah. Amen. Based on gender. Amen to that. Can I, can I just chime in? I think it it ties specifically to Babette's feast in a way. Um, so I think we should all make T-shirts and say, "What would the other do?" Mm. Oh, nice! That's beautiful. Do it. <laughs> sell them so, at the show. We'll sell them on. We'll there sell you them go. on dot <laughs> com. And yeah. and so as we as we went around the table um, at, for our Babette's feast, it was it was such a profound moment when there. There was uh, one member of the cast who basically says, "I'm I'm four parts the other. I'm I'm gay. I'm I'm from Texas. I'm Polish." <laughs> it was it was you know. And uh, our church here in San Francisco, City Church of San Francisco, has just become LGBTQ inclusive and affirming. And Matthew Vines, who's a foremost leader in uh, the realm of of who's uh, I think he wrote God and the Gay Christian talks about the importance of bringing in and being inclusive to the all parties, all parties. And we sell ourselves short when we become exclusive in the world, when we feel, oh, I've only with my, my tribe, right? Um, and so our, 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 our perspective broadens, our compassion broadens, our empathy gets bigger we have a greater appreciation um, for the other in the world, people that are not like ourselves. So I celebrate the white man. Um, I, I'm married to a phenomenal woman, Tim Friedle, best there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but la- you know, last night I had the great privilege of attending um, a, a, a gathering of women. I Speaking of finding your tribe, it was called um, Female Founders Office Hours, um, put on co-hosted by a new organization called All Rise. 
I think it's 34 or 36 of venture capital, women venture capitalists who are coming together to support other uh, female founders and, and venture capitalists. And, uh, you know, they were touting the fact they were focusing in on the elements of what makes a female a great founder, a great entrepreneur. And one of just one element was that we're great storytellers. We bring mm. that to, to the table and we should be celebrating our diversity of, you know, uh, and that goes back to hiring people smarter than themselves. You, you can't wear every hat. You can't be the CFO and the CEO and the CTO and the COO. So you, you, you pick the, that which where you thrive the most and then you find your tribe to find support. And um, that's how we're all going to thrive. And especially us female founders, entrepreneurs, creatives, uh, philanthropists, we need each other. And so for that reason, Ned, I'm just so grateful, so proud of what you're creating and building this community, Liberty for Her. It is an extraordinary um, effort to, to bring us all together and to support one another and, and, and see our ventures thrive. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All the way around. <laughs> Thank you mm -hmm. for interrupting. That was, that's really, that was an important message, I think, for all of us to, to, to consider. Okay. This is now where we do this fun little thing we call the quick six. So since there's two of you, I'm going to ask one of you, each one of these questions. Abigail, do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex. Okay. Jennifer, do you prefer vacationing in the mountains or the beach? Beach. I had a feeling you'd say that. <laughs> um, Abigail, do you like working from home or in office? Office. Jennifer, with a team or alone? A team. <laughs> I'm going to ask you both this because it's the hardest question I ask. Thai or Mexican food? Abigail. Oh man, that See? is hard. Right? Mexican. Okay, okay. Do I get, do I get to drink with it? Uh, always. <laughs> always get to drink. With okay. It. Cause if it's, if, if I get to drink with it, it's Mexican, but if I don't, then it's Thai. Okay. okay. We've never had that distinction. We've never had that. Jennifer, Thai or Mexican. Okay. Abigail, next time I'm in hell's kitchen at the theater, I'm, I'm treating. We're going to get margaritas and Mexican. Perfect. Perfect. And is that because that's your first choice, Jennifer? I, I'm going with Abigail. I love them both. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> and then each of you, Abigail first, we call this uh, podcast Liberty Sessions. Our platform, as Jennifer pointed out, is Liberty for Her. That's our URL. Our company name is Liberty. What does it mean for you to be liberated? To be more than what I've become. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. And then I love hearing things that we haven't heard before. Um, Jennifer, what does it mean for you to be liberated? I had the privilege of, of creating a family foundation Netta knows well, called Thrive Foundation for Youth. And the mission was to create opportunities and environments that enable young people to thrive, enabling them to become all that God intends. Hmm. And so we shifted our efforts now that our children are 20 and 22 um, from at-risk youth and uh Positive youth development will always be a focus of mine as a philanthropist. Um, but now I'm excited about helping us big kids thrive. Mm. Us, especially us female founders, creators thrive. So that's, 
that's liberating to me. I love it. And and bring it. We're ready. We're ready for you. <laughs> Ladies, thank you for your time. Thank you for taking us um, into a world that many of us don't know. I feel like we got some great insight into the, not only the theater world, but how a creative and a philanthropist entrepreneur can come together and impact through art. Um, that was so well said. And I, I appreciate your time and um, your vulnerability, your willingness to share with us. So thank you for being with us today. And Liberty listeners, thank you for tuning in. And we will be with you guys again next week. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 